This is Patrick Henningsen, and you're listening to On the QT at 21wire.tv. Accessing confidential data. Hi, I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. This is On the QT at 21 wire.tv thanks for joining us for this fortnightly episode uh the first part is going to be broadcast at 21stcenturywire.com and also on soundcloud and at the alternate current radio network that's acr and then after the 30 minute mark we will take a short station break but then the full show will be available for members and subscribers uh at 21wire.tv so if you want to have access to the full podcast uh, you want to go over and look to subscribe at 21wire.tv uh, for this and other premium content for our members, including uh, video content and a new show uh, called Insight, uh, which we're slowly rolling out as well for members only. Uh, we'll get to see those shows first and in some cases uh, get to see uh, the, the full entire show only at 21wire.tv. We meant to have this program out a little bit earlier in the week. Uh, normally comes out midweek, Tuesday and Wednesday, but it was a very busy news week. Uh, last week, rolling into this week, uh, it was just one thing after another uh, going into last weekend. We did cover this on the Sunday Wire show at ACR. That's our weekly omnibus uh, three-hour talk radio show every Sunday live uh, here at 21stCenturyWire.com and also at ACR. We covered the Istanbul attacks uh, going into the weekend. That was a major event, uh, a fairly big production uh, in Istanbul. And that was followed almost immediately by a car bomb in Baghdad, which killed 200 people. Uh, was a serious attack um, and tragic, to say the least. And we believe anyway, and I think I'm not alone, uh, this was designed to to reignite sectarian division in Iraq and also to uh, further uh, the narrative that uh, the Iraqi security situation is beyond the control of the Iraqis themselves and therefore they require a foreign intervention. That came right on the heels of Istanbul and then more or less at the same exact time, I think this was on Monday, um, there was a, well we're told anyway, there was a triple suicide bomb attack in Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's, it's very hard to get really good reports on this. Obviously, being in Saudi Arabia, it's kind of a closed society, and everything is controlled uh, in terms of media and uh, law enforcement, police, to an extreme degree. So I don't know if we'll ever get the, the accurate or full story as to what exactly happened there. Uh, triple suicide bomb attack, one opposite the U.S. consulate in Jeddah, and uh, two other targets. Very dodgy, I would say, this event. I'm not sure exactly what we're looking at there. So that that was just calming down. And uh, then the Chilcot report was released in the UK. This was the uh, the long-awaited, decade-long, two million, two and a half million word report uh, regarding the Iraq war. And was there lying? Was there uh, dodgy dossiers? Uh, did Tony Blair and his crew lie their way uh, into one of the worst military 
uh, and geopolitical debacles in modern history. Well, according to this two million word report, uh, I guess sort of a little a little chastisement, a little graze on the wrist. But otherwise, uh, off you go, Tony. You can go and make your millions. We covered that in detail uh, on the UK Column News. Uh, I posted that episode as a news program I did with Brian Garish up at 21stCenturyWire.com. I do encourage people to go watch that episode because we did give a kind of a rehash or summary of this issue of intelligence uh, going up to Iraq. And a lot of people say, well, of course, we know all that, and that's old hat. But you have to remember... Uh, what they presented last week in the Chilcot report was basically a whitewash. It was a two million word whitewash of history. And it did its best to basically avoid uh, getting into some of the really obvious and pithy issues uh, regarding the systemic uh, institutional corruption that exists between branches of government and the intelligence services. Uh, and the col- the corporate collusion that exists, which is probably the real pretext uh, for the Iraq War, uh, which was the commercial beneficiaries of that conflict. Uh, we did break that down in, in pretty good detail in a sort of 50-minute broadcast uh, with UK Column News. So that was happening, and just as we were getting our head around that, uh, I get reports on uh, Thursday evening about uh, another uh, major uh, domestic incident in the United States. And mind you, we had covered the Orlando uh, uh, production a couple of weeks ago. I call it a production because the more you look at the Orlando event, the more it looks like it was kind of a very elaborate media production. Uh, And we covered that on a previous episode as well. You can go back and search for any of those articles at 21stCenturyWire.com. It's about a half a dozen of them. I think they'll give you a good taste of uh, uh, what was going on in Orlando. So what happened on Thursday night? Well, something happened in Dallas. And uh, we're told anyway, well, this is the story. So two men, uh, Alton Sterling from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, killed. Uh, Interesting, this was live-streamed. well, the aftermath, anyway, was live-streamed by the uh, girlfriend or wife of Alton Sterling. Uh, this was a police uh, apparently killed him while he was sitting in his car at a, what, a traffic stop over a broken taillight. This is Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So this is a black man, African-American man, and his partner uh, and victim. Uh, so we're told of uh, this police uh, incident, police brutality, police violence. And then Philando... Castile from St. Paul, Minnesota. It's just uh, next to Minneapolis. And another uh, similar event uh, uh, killed, I guess, by police. Uh, I'm not sure of the actual details of how that went down, but uh, suffice to say, uh, protesters up in arms. And uh, so a march was planned. Black Lives Matter uh, is a activist group in America that uh, is protesting uh, on behalf of uh, blacks who are victims of police violence. So Dallas, Thursday night, a march was planned, which I, I don't understand why it was planned in Dallas when these two shootings took place in these two other cities, but let's just accept it. 
and uh, downtown Dallas, about 800 people. Not that it's not that big of a march, actually. Uh, pretty small, um, fairly contained event, uh, and somehow there was a huge police presence out for these uh, only 800 people. It's, I, th- I think it was around 800 people. Uh, unusually large uh, police presence uh, anyway in Dallas for such a few amount of people. Anyway, the stage was set, uh, and initial reports were there were three to four snipers who had shot and killed, get this, five police officers uh, and wounded a further seven, I believe. So that's 12 in total uh, casualties, five dead, five police officers from the Dallas uh, PD. This is the story. This is the plot. So a conspiracy, no less. Uh, And then we're told that uh, the uh, fourth suspect, uh, whose uh, name is Mika X Johnson, or Mika Xavier Johnson, or Micah Xavier Johnson, however you pronounce it. But the media, uh, very interesting, uh, the media rushed to brand uh, this gunman, uh, the fourth suspect who was held up in the uh, uh, top floor of a parking garage at one of the universities downtown in Dallas, and they called him Mika, Mika X. So this was a, a, an intentional uh, maneuver by the media to basically create a Malcolm X uh, sort of persona. And uh, immediately they had the black power fists in the air, militant photographs released, as if by magic, of course. These were always readily available in all cases, uh, whether it's a white uh, domestic extremist or uh, a a left-wing militant black uh, radical. So the narrative goes, and so what happens? Uh, He's holed up, he's he's telling the police, I don't know how, communicating with them, shouting, I guess. Uh, Oh, there's bombs everywhere, and so it becomes a terrorist event immediately. Uh, By this time, you know, the crowds have scattered all sorts of distractions in the media, uh, including a few uh, planted, it seems anyway, props. Uh, one of them was a, uh, a black man with an AR-15 strapped to his back wearing a camo camouflage outfit who was uh, supposedly just, you know, marching at the march, as you do, as you do at a left-wing rally with an AR-15 strapped to your back. Uh, okay, anyway... Uh, So anyway, lots of distractions by the media. So this guy, what do the police do? This is a a hostage situation. What does the Dallas police do? Uh, Apparently they made a risk assessment. This is the first time in U.S. history, by the way. What I'm going to tell you has never happened before. Uh, The police, were told, made a risk assessment. And uh, because there was such a danger to officers who had this guy pinned down, completely pinned down, um, they sent in a robot. Uh, who had a bomb and a robot who basically launched a grenade, got close to this guy and then just launched a grenade at him and then we're told that's it, he's dead. So he was executed by the police by a robot, okay? And not not a big deal has been made about this in the media, but I think this is probably, if not, is one of the top three, if not the most crucial details of this story, is that a precedent has been set, is that police now believe if their risk assessment uh, shows that law enforcement or somehow their lives are in danger, that they may summarily execute anybody 
who they deem a threat. So the irony here, you just can't, you just can't beat. So the protesters come out because of police violence against black people. And what do the police do? And mind you, I don't know. They don't know if this guy was the, was the shooter. They had him pinned down, but no ballistics reports have been done. No case, no investigation, no forensics have been done at all. They don't know at that point whether he was the shooter. What happens? They just decide, well, we're going to kill him, and we're going to kill him with a robot. Not by the hand of any police officer, any human, but a robot. Think about the implications of this for a minute. Think about some of the worst dystopian films that you've seen in Hollywood through science fiction where the machines are basically out executing people. Very cold, very impersonal. Does that not shock anybody? Because that should shock everybody, that little piece of detail. Of course, that should shock the media, but uh, for the most part, the U.S. media is staffed with Probably 99.9% of the uh, people are lobotomized and they won't, any of these sort of profound revelations will just go right, right past them. So that's interesting. So what, so I guess we're told anyway that this uh, guy's dead. Who is he? He's a U.S. military trained uh, uh, sniper. Okay. Or we're told anyway. Again, no forensic investigation has been done. The ballistics reports haven't been done. I don't know whether he's the shooter at this point. I'm sure they'll make make it out that he is regardless. Maybe he is. But we don't know, so we're only speculating uh, uh, what might be or what, what might not be. So, again, this follows a very similar pattern. Uh, ex-military, interesting. Ex-military and uh, other shooters of a similar background. Uh, If you remember back in 2002, if any of you out there are old enough to remember that year, uh, or your brain hasn't been wiped since that, uh, Lee Boyd Malvo, who was he, the DC sniper. And he went on a sniping rampage, uh, parked his car around Washington, D.C., around the terrorized the Beltway for weeks, um, drilled a hole in his back trunk, hid in the trunk, and just shot people, we're told anyway. That's what we're told. So he's ex-U.S. military. And uh, the guy's probably, he's been drugged up now for the best part of a decade. So then we also have the story in Texas, 1966, Charles Joseph Whitman. Who is he? That was an ex-U.S. Marine who got into, I believe, the, 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 the clock tower at the University of Texas, I believe in Austin, and uh, started just shooting people on campus. Killed 16, wounded 49, Charles Charles Joseph Whitman. So all of these shooters, of course, have to be referred to with their three names. This is one of the rules of media coverage. Uh, Charles Joseph Whitman, Lee Boyd Malvo, uh, Micah X, Xavier Johnson, uh, and so on and so forth. So this is interesting and more sniper uh, stories. So we looked at this sniper theme, and we discovered this, this is a very interesting theme, the sniper theme. Uh, 1984, uh, British policewoman Yvonne Fletcher, P. 
PC, PC Fletcher, uh, was shot and killed uh, in front of the Libyan embassy in St. James Square in London, 1984. This was during a, a standoff siege situation. That's what we're told anyway. And later we find out uh, from an independent investigation, looking at the ballistics reports, uh, that it wasn't possible. The official story just wasn't possible. And uh, that she was appeared to be shot by a highly trained marksman uh, using a military uh, issue weapon. So again, what happened there? Was she killed by a Libyan terrorist? No, uh, it doesn't appear to be that way. Uh, she was shot. And then a series of events unfolded after that. And that was also one of the things that helped to build up a, a case of public opinion against the country of Libya and Muammar Gaddafi in particular. And uh, the demonization of that uh, leader in that country, which built up and up and up and then came to a crescendo in uh, 2010 and 2011 when uh, the U.S. and its NATO and the U.K. mainly and France, actually three, U.S., U.K., France, and the NATO confab basically collapsed and crushed the whole nation and basically destroyed the actual country. So that, that was a, a project that was probably about 30 years in the making. So, again, it was the sniper event that uh, was, a, was a key catalyst uh, in that story. And we, there's another other sniper events as well uh, that have had profound political uh, and geopolitical effects. Uh, one of them we covered at 21st Century Wire. We have an article up on the Daily Shooter, which is entitled uh, Dallas Maidan. Dallas Maidan. And uh, it's looking at this, uh, how what this event is, but also how other similar sniper events uh, are used uh, in order to manipulate public opinion and eff- effectively to terrorize the public, uh, but also to set in motion a series of events. In in the Maidan in Kiev in 2014, uh, sn- snipers or shots were fired and protesters were killed uh, in Maidan Square during the so-called color, color revolution uprising there, uh, and police were killed. Later we find out that most of these shots, or all of these shots, actually came from one particular location, and that was a location held by the so-called opposition. I believe it was the right sector. And so the narrative was that uh, the uh, Viktor Yanukovych, the president at the time, uh, who was still holding on to his office uh, despite a, a U.S.-backed street opposition, uh, U.S. spent hundreds of millions of dollars um, developing a program of regime change for the Ukraine. This president was holding on. Uh, the police were protecting the government buildings. The protesters were moving closer and closer. Shots are fired. Protesters dead. Police dead. Uh, everybody blames the president Yanukovych's uh, special police force, the uh, internal uh, capital police there, the Burkut police. And uh, that was the narrative. And, uh, of course, the cries start traveling around the world in the usual quarters. Oh, you must step down. He must leave. Regime change. Regime change. And it also emboldened the mob who became uh, more incensed and uh, began you know, torching buildings and things and breaking into more government buildings. And pretty soon the president fled. But it was that, re- it was that sniper event which was the catalyst. Later we find out that this isn't that the official narrative of the sniper event. It wasn't his police. 
Uh, it was a third-party actor, a military-trained, most likely, and ex- ex- superb marksman, killing people, killing people from uh, a height, a good firing position. And look at, look at what happened afterwards. Look at how this event was used. Then we go to Syria, 2011, in Homs. And uh, there's talk of people on buildings shooting civilians, shooting police. Same story. Of course, this is spun in the West as uh, the Assad's brutal security forces were just uh, uh, killing people in the street willy-nilly or protesters, peaceful peaceful Arab Spring protesters, etc. Uh, you hear the simplistic uh, narrative lines over and over, repeated ad nauseum uh, by uh, the Western media, by by the New York Times, uh, by all the great so-called journalists uh, who love this this out-of-the-box uh, George Soros-sponsored narrative of the Arab Spring. Okay, snipers once again. So here we are in Dallas, same thing. Snipers shooting police. Black snipers. So how does this work out in terms of the narrative? Well, we will break that down. But first, uh, first, let's look at how the U.S. media are covering this story. Let's look at some of the popular uh, talking points coming out of the White House. Uh, so H- Hillary Clinton is running for president against, uh, well, it seems Donald Trump. Uh, and the election will be in November. And I said so many times, uh, and even on this podcast last episode, uh, this is going to be a very hot summer, a summer of gladio. A uh, summer of instability, and, and and we can tell you now a summer of uh, prefabricated fake uh, left versus right events. I think what the establishment want to do is they want to create another 1968, and they were hoping that people would create it on their own. But uh, in general, Americans have become the most important thing in the minds of Americans today is not really street agitation. I might it might seem like that. Uh, but they spend more time tweeting about it than actually doing it. But the most important thing for the average American today in 2016 is their smartphone. Uh, it's not getting out and, and protesting. It's not looking seriously at political issues. It's about um, how you look, uh, what sort of sneakers you're wearing, and what apps you've got on your smartphone. This is number one in uh Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, if you understand what that is in in social psychology, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Number one, now in 2016, is my phone, my personal device. So, uh, with that in mind, with that obsession in mind, uh, the establishment have tried to bait the public into race wars, class wars. Uh, Lord knows the president has done his best to stoke up any sort of division. possible uh, that he could inject himself into, uh, whether it be class warfare, race warfare, whatever. People just aren't really going for it on the whole. So what they're hoping is that they can stage, they can create this, they can sort of uh, manufacture some sort of 1968 situation going into the uh, uh, Democratic and Republican national conventions this month and then into November. They can stage it and create it then maybe it will actually uh, manifest itself in, in terms of reality on the streets and we'll actually have you know, proper street warfare and proper race warfare. Uh, and so this is the hope, um, I think, of uh, those in power, 
that they can manufacture these situations. And with the help of the media, uh, they certainly have a good chance of, uh, of doing that. So let's look at some of the uh, narratives right now. Let's see. Uh, we've got uh, the Democrats uh, immediately blaming guns and blaming Republicans. Uh, this is just basically what I've sur- surveilled on CNN, which is a good uh, barometer of which way the propaganda winds are blowing. Uh, so Black, their Black Lives Matter and Michael Brown, uh, this is what Fox is saying. They're blaming the Michael Brown hoax of hands up, don't shoot, which never happened. Actually, that's probably true. Uh, so there's mythologies and narratives on both the left and the right, and these are very cleverly designed and propagated through media in order to get people on the right who identify themselves as liberal or uh, a minority or a Democrat to, to be at odds with uh, those who identify themselves as Republicans or conservatives. Uh, and then there's a whole set of mythologies and fake narratives for the Republicans and the conservatives as well, which is uh, that ISIS is planning an invasion of the United States and they're hiding out in Mexico uh, getting ready to pounce uh, on, on, on the state of Texas or something like this. Uh, so th- there's all sorts of crazy, um, you know, irrational, uh, f- synthetic uh, uh, narratives and, and dialectics for both the right and the left in America. And the idea is that if you can, if you can plug enough of these into people's brains on both sides, uh, then they'll always feel that they're going to be against each other on every issue. Um, so that's it. So, so it, I, if you're if you're a black uh, Democrat or you're a Democrat uh, and you want to make show that you're compassionate and you're siding with this uh, Black Lives Matter uh, protest um, group, um, then you automatically have to pretend that you're a, a, against the police, okay? Because you can't be you can't support any police officers, but uh, but support blacks at the same time. This is the fake dialectic. Uh, which they're trying to construct in America, and vice versa. If you're uh, self-identified as a uh, right-wing uh, Republican or a patriot or something like this, uh, and you support law enforcement and you're against these uh, left-wing radicals, well, you can't uh, be friendly or can't have any common cause uh, with with black people in America, and therefore you can't you can't have uh, you can't protest or criticize the police for shooting people. Uh, while they're on the ground, whether they're white or black, uh, because if you protested the police in that way, then that would be un-American or you'd be siding with the liberals, right? So this is a fake dialectic, and most people fall happily fall into this trap, actually. Uh, so Republicans, Fox, are saying the Democrats created Occupy Wall Street to combat the Tea Party. Again, another fake dialectic. Uh, that's kind of a childish statement, but yet this is what I saw on Fox. Um, and the point of Black Lives Matter is that no lives matter. There you go. And uh, Obama is supporting Black Lives Matter and uh, says its founders. Uh, Obama's kind of cozying up to these black activist groups to, to I, I guess, to curry favor. Obama's always seen street mobs uh, as a source of power, uh, which is evidenced by the fact that he allowed Al Sharpton uh, to hang out in the White House uh, so often over the last eight years. Uh, Al Sharpton is a professional agitator. So this is very interesting. We've got an interesting president. He's on his way out, hopefully. Uh, but he's a very interesting guy. He's got a very interesting 
set of politics. So George Soros uh, funding Black Lives Matter. So again, this is the color. This is kind of a, a color revolution in the United States. So, you know, the American left will sit back and they're all happy to see these uh, Soros financed color re- fake color revolutions in places like uh, Eastern Europe and, and throughout the Middle East and uh, completely fabricated synthetic uh, uh, supposedly progressive movements. So there, but then this also happens in the United States. Uh, same, the same money, these same powerful people are behind moveon.org uh, and by extension behind groups like Black Lives Matter. They get tons and tons of money. So th- when, these, when these groups become militant or militant factions sprout off them, this is exactly what the establishment wants to see. They want to see things go a little bit militant. And this, what does this do in the end? We'll tell you in a second. So Don Lemon at CNN, he's uh, still was still defending the uh, lines on police brutality, uh, despite the fact we had a, a, a allegedly anyway a snipe a black sniper shooting cops. Kind of outrageous. What does this do? This knocks Hillary Clinton right off the headlines. Uh, so at the same time this was going down, uh, James Comey was testifying in front of Congress on actually the same time at the same time. Amazing about Hillary Clinton's uh, emails. Amazing. So that was it. That that helped to absolutely obscure uh, some very damning uh, testimony by the FBI um, about Hillary Clinton. So her, her reputation remained intact because of this improbable black sniper event uh, in Dallas. It's pretty incredible stuff. So what else have we got in terms of talking points? Um, that's kind of it. So where does this lead us to in the big picture? Let's take a look. So it does it absolutely takes Hillary Clinton off the headlines. Uh, and so first, let's look at let's look at how this affects uh, the the left. The left will then be crying out for gun control now uh, because this person was using, we're told anyway, a high powered uh, uh, long distance uh, rifle. Now, for a sniper to do a job like that and not have a reconnaissance on, to plan it out, basically, and to have such an amazing hit rate, well, you would ta- it would take a long time. Uh, it would take, you need a few days, at least 48 hours. So this was a snap protest. So this brings up red flags for me straight away. Uh, was there planning involved? There would have to have been planning involved. Um, there were multiple shooters, we're told. And then all of a sudden, as if by magic, uh, just yesterday night, they changed the, the media, law enforcement, everyone drops the multiple shooters reports, and they stop and they say, no, it was a lone gunman. It was a lone gunman. It was Micah X was the lone gunman. Nice and smooth, nice and easy. We'll break down uh, that and more uh, after the break. Uh, if you're listening to this on ACR, or 21st Century Wire, or SoundCloud, uh, you can go and hear the next hour. Uh, if you just go to 21wire.tv and hit subscribe, become a member, and subscribe, and you'll be able to hear the full broadcast there for members only. And in addition to this um, broadcast and to this podcast, which we're putting out fortnightly on the QT. There's a number of other premium 
members content uh, programs up there at 21wire.tv, the new series Insight. This is in-depth analysis uh, talk show and panel discussion show, which we're producing. Very nice show with the UK column and Insight Vox, one-on-one interviews. Uh, but also, we've got a very something very special this week. And uh, we're going to make this available just for members and subscribers only. This is a sneak preview of a new documentary film production. Uh, this is a production I've worked on with the UK Column. Uh, and it is a powerful documentary feature length. Uh, it's an hour and 10 or an hour and 15 minutes. And it's called Slaughtered on Suspicion. It is an investigation into the foot and mouth crisis. If you know what I'm talking about, if you're in the UK or Europe, uh, 2001, the foot and mouth crisis in Great Britain. Uh, we did an in-depth investigation on location filming, beautiful documentary, but powerful and, and quite harrowing, to be honest. Uh, going back and watching it, uh, it I can't believe um, what we heard and documented making that film. And it's a good, it's a very good piece of documentary film. But this is, we're going to do a sneak uh, preview of the director's cut of, of Slaughtered on Suspicion, uh, for Twenty One Wire members only, and uh, it's got an original music score, which was uh, composed by an Italian uh, film composer who's a big talent, up and coming talent in the business. But wow, uh, I was, you know, I hadn't watched the final cut, um, but this was the director's cut, uh, which I recently managed to get because we finished processing a few things but um we're going to share that with our members and that's that's what we're going to hopefully do throughout the year so we get something special we're going to share it with our members some things will be exclusively for members only other things will eventually make public uh there's another program as well called the column commute this is the morning commute which we're filming in uh on the way to the uk column studio every morning uh, where we talk politics uh, and this is in the car, and it's using a, a like a GoPro camera, and it's uh, it's turned out to be really interesting. I'll put the uh, some of the first segments of that funny ones anyway up on Twenty One Wire TV, and that's for again for members only. Uh, we'll be able to see that. I'll play some clips from the column commute uh, in the second part of this podcast. Actually, I've got I'll, I'll rip some audio off uh, from the column commute, and we'll we'll share that with you here on the QT. So, uh, but uh, if you're listening uh, on 21st Century Wire at ACR, this is the free broadcast. But if you want to hear the full uh, second hour, uh, just go to 21wire.tv. And I'm your host, Patrick Hennings, and we'll see you on the other side. Tune in Sundays at noon Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the Sunday Wire for three hours of action-packed talk radio on 21stCenturyWire.com and AlternateCurrentRadio.com. Hey, 